Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. pushing yourself and enjoying yourself and having fun and trying things and trying things and trying things because like mm. at, a, at a certain point people start restricting the freedom that you have to try those things dive in because you know the deal you know what we're talking about we i we haven't prepared anything are you no. ready to go i'm ready welcome back to the podcast elise do you want to reintroduce yourself to listeners sure my name's elise roth i am a senior editor on the editorial team and my primary focus is casting mm-hmm. and casting content and features so I think a lot about casting directors, but I also, because of that, think a lot about actors and how things are cast. Indeed. It makes you an expert in several in several fields. The Oscars and award season, I suppose, being one of them, you are certainly an expert in my in my eyes. Yeah. Well, I think that comes with the job, but it also comes with a decades-long interest in following <laughs> award shows in general. One so. might say obsession. Yes, lots of practice from from my early years to today when I get paid for it. It is, yeah, it is It is all practice. It is all relevant. Um, here we are, I think you can agree, in probably historically the weirdest award season, the weirdest film award season we've ever had, right? <laughs> Definitely. And I think because of the extended nature of it, mm. it is... Definitely, we've been able to think about mm. what it is and what it means for even longer than normal. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's definitely weird, but I actually have been enjoying watching the conversation this year because mm. things have been part of the conversation that I think otherwise in a normal year might not have broken through. Mm. I do think that kind of rushed quality, that certainly changes the awards race. And so... um the Oscar nominations were just announced. That was kind of the latest on this long line of announcements that happen. And again, more stretched out, kind of a more leisurely pace, no less busy for us at Backstage, but we haven't had a chance to talk yet about it. Like, what did you what did you think? You can be as candid as you want. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I saw a headline that said, that was talking about the uh, the Oscar nominations, and it said, this seems like a start. And I have to agree. Uh. I think, like I was saying, because we've been able to talk about what has come out for longer and it's almost like 
there's more time for things to come out and more time between things. You know, there wasn't as many releases last year. And that also, yes, it left room for conversations to be had. So obviously there was a lot of conversations about racial issues in the industry Mm -hmm. and then even specific to certain films. And I think that left a lot of room for people to think before they voted. And I think that showed up in the nominations Mm. where there's a lot of exciting first time things, including lots of first nominees, a lot more diversity than we were used to seeing. (laughs) The director's race obviously was very exciting. And um, so it, it feels like it's great that at least there's some movement towards making these changes and hopefully they end up being permanent and people don't just pat themselves on the back for doing it this one time and then go back to normal in 2022 normal which sure. is or what normal has been i guess it, yeah, yeah and yeah. yeah i think that without this year being so weird we <laughs> might not have had this type of race totally totally and as you mentioned like the fact that the um this is also a year of no movie theater releases for the most part. So everything was experienced over streaming. I would say it was a big year for indie film because that is, I don't want to say like that's what's left in the race because all the big budget blockbusters were delayed, but that is sort of the case. However, I don't think it reflects in any way on the quality of the films. And yeah, I agree. The nominations themselves, I mean, talk to me about the director race. So like what what do uh, maybe listeners who don't know, don't have their finger on the pulse about the Oscar race, what is notable? about the current five nominees for Best Director? Well, for the first time, two of them are women, and Uh, one of them is a woman of color for the first time. Yes. So that's very exciting. And they are now the sixth and seventh women ever to be nominated for that category. Right. And I think that this has been a problematic category for so many years. Yeah. And um, I don't think it's too much of a surprise that the attention that Nomadland is getting and that Mm. Chloe Chow is getting. But I do think something like Promising Young Woman might have Mm. been eclipsed by maybe bigger budget or more mainstay male director's work if Mm. it had been a different year. Mm. So it's very exciting for someone like Emerald Fennell to Mm -hmm. be a part of a conversation that movie was unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. It felt it, which is to me, what is exciting about awarding work in film and in television. I just, I want to be surprised. I want to Mm -hmm. feel like something is new, which is a few years ago, why I was exciting for get out to get any nominations. Absolutely. Which is because it's like, that felt like something I had never seen before. Whereas a lot of Oscar nominees are, beautiful filmmaking, just, you know, top of their craft, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a reinvention of Mm -hmm. the craft. Yeah, of form and content. I love this idea of like, what we're really talking about here is like redefining the notion of what is an awards contender and expanding that definition. Get Out is a perfect example. On the list this year, like Minari, that's not necessarily a film that would have garnered attention years ago or in any other year. Um, Exactly. Promising Young Woman, 100%. The Best Picture nominees, just for listeners to know, Sound of Metal, oh my God, what a great year for a film. Sound of Metal, Nomadland, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, The Father, and then Judas and the Black Messiah. What a great eclectic group, and 
again, not a not a bad year considering how many how many delays there were and how much how historically we're going to remember this time as a very very challenging year for the film industry. And the Oscars, I think, are always a an emblematic of a moment in history, in American history, in cinema history. And this is reflective of that moment, but not in a way that's like the film industry has clearly suffered. Like that's not a conclusion you would draw from these nominations. And and it's just so true. Like the magic of cinema has been a real balm in this in this past year. Even if that magic of cinema is in your own living room, or on your phone, or on your laptop, on your couch, you know, however you're watching movies, it's been a very welcome escape. Yeah, I think this is a good list for that reason. And I do think if reflecting on the uh, best picture nominees that you just listed Mm -hmm. when you think about the worlds created in these Mm. i do think escape is exactly what it is even if they're not necessarily uplifting films which not all of them are or (laughs) a lot of them aren't explicitly but you think about you know the world in mank is very specific the world in sound of metal is very specific like they these are Mm. really immersive films that between the the artistry of cinematography and production design and all of the elements yeah. put together and then obviously great performances it really really transports you to these other worlds and we all need a bit of that we right now that. so i think yeah. i think that it especially <laughs> this year it is really the eclecticness of where you're going when you're watching the films i mean nomad land those those locations yeah. are you know you yeah. could only dream to have the space and the ability to travel to a place that's so remote, even though yes. there aren't there are some scenarios in the film that aren't as dreamy. Yeah, totally. No, it's it is escape in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just I do think, like you were just saying, there's a lot of elements of this year's selections that are emblematic of this year as a whole, which has yeah. been quite insane quite insane yeah years from now i just i always wonder about what years from now what we'll be saying and yeah the, i do i do think this is gonna be it's a really strong year for film so it's good that the oscars are um reflecting that also today in today's episode of the podcast also worth noting is um our guest he is not oscar nominated so i don't really know how to naturally segue from one into the other however i do think it's only a matter of time before david diggs is Agreed. oscar nominated for something um, are you a fan of David Diggs, Elise? Of course I am. And I think that a podcast is one of the best ways to interview him because yes. his voice is just one of the best things to listen to, whether he's singing or talking. But oh, his voice has just agree. such a quality to it that hmm. oh, podcast is such a great medium for it. I completely agree. And he's such a warm, generous, open spirit. And uh, any opportunity to get him on, it, re- it really would have been we could just get him on for anything. He's He is active in so many things. However, he is currently SAG Award nominated for his role in Hamilton, which is a Broadway musical from 2015 that is only now in the SAG Awards race because of the Disney Plus TV film that is a filmed version of the stage version for anyone out there who somehow doesn't know this. It is so wild to talk to somebody who like we spoke to during the Tony Awards in 2015. And now here we are again talking about the SAG Awards. Different yes. mediums, but same performance. Um, there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack. There. There's just a lot to unpack with Hamilton, of course. Yeah, which obviously shows its staying power. And um, yeah. talk about escape. Yeah, right. And I mean, plenty of people have mixed 
opinions about its eligibility in the SAG yeah. race this year, which I think it follows the rules. I sort of agree with like, okay, it's a little bit of a cheat, but I mean, <laughs> it's not like it was nominated for everything. So it just kind of shows how amazing David's performance is oh, yeah. in his role as Lafayette slash Jefferson. And yes. he's, I mean, everything about that show is memorable, but I mean, I just will never forget watching him in the theater, walking down those stairs at the beginning of oh Act Two mm-hmm. and just being like, this is the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> this is the most charismatic person I've ever seen perform. Yeah. Yep. In that velvet suit. Oh. Yeah. He's iconic. He's actually iconic. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a testament to the work that he's done since that when you say that he's nominated for a SAG mm-hmm. award, you're not immediately <laughs> thinking, oh, which... the only thing he's done is Hamilton, so it must be for that. Which oh, has yeah. been exciting to see him go from breaking out in that stage role and yes. and transition seamlessly to the screen in many different types of Completely. roles in different ways and much deserved because much deserved. he yeah. is a captivating performer. Absolutely. Yeah. I think listeners will get a lot of this interview. And as you mentioned, his voice sounds amazing. He is really the ideal podcast guest, but specifically backstage podcast guest. This is someone who knows how to talk about art and acting. So thank you, Elise, for helping me intro him and for for this quick, cute little recap of the Oscars. Um, I'm sure we'll do it again. I know that Emmys are right around the corner. Yes, they are. Hey, if you are an actor or an aspiring actor, someone at the beginning of your artistic career, and you haven't signed up for Backstage yet and you don't know how it works, I have good news for you. Backstage is offering 30 whole days completely free just for our In the Envelope listeners. If you visit backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope, you will have full access to the site where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start applying to the thousands of casting notices uploaded every single day on the world's number one casting platform. Again, we are giving listeners of this podcast 30 days completely free to try out Backstage. Go to checkout, that's backstage.com slash subscribe, and enter the code ENVELOPE. If you want to be in contention for an Emmy or for an Oscar or for a Tony or for a SAG award, do as many of the guests on this podcast have suggested and use Backstage. We are here for you. Again, free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe. Enter the code ENVELOPE. David Diggs is best known for his Tony Award-winning portrayals of the Marquis de Lafayette and President Thomas Jefferson in the Broadway musical Hamilton, released last year as a TV film on Disney Plus and garnering David a SAG Award nomination. The singer-rapper-songwriter and actor-writer-producer also leads TMT's dystopian drama Snowpiercer, appears on Showtime's miniseries The Good Lord Bird, ABC's Blackish, and Apple TV Plus's animated Central Park, and wrote and starred in the indie film Blind Spotting, which he's now adapting into a series. Here is the wildly talented David Diggs. David, hi. Hi. Um, how's how are you? How's 2021 so far? Uh I mean, you know, it's weird. It's a, it's a mixed bag, uh, but it's good. I'm like up in 
Vancouver uh, oh. just started season three, shooting season three of Snowpiercer. So, oh, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, we're we're up here doing the damn thing. It feels a little bit like I left the U.S. at exactly the wrong time. You know, like everybody sure. I know is getting vaccinated, and I can't get one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> the first time in the whole last year. Yeah, exactly. Wait, so whereabouts are you? You have a makeshift, a sound barrier behind you? Yeah, I have to like every, <laughs> you know, everywhere I go, I have to build a studio because I do so much, I mean, my own music, Absolutely. but also, I, you know, a ton of like animation stuff and so much yeah. voice work these days that like, and it's just easier and sort of less stressful to do from home. So I try to build something that's mostly functional wherever I'm staying. It like goes, it's like a mobile sound uh sound optimization system you have kind of it's just packing blankets and <laughs> and like my regular setup from home but which is which gets better and better every time i have to rebuild it so <laughs> and you're working on just snowpiercer is there also like are is central park an ongoing gig yeah yeah so we we record with that uh a fair amount and then just like a bunch of like some just animated films and stuff that i've been doing and yeah uh and then writing you know ever every so often like a songwriting gig comes along like some commercial like me and clipping will do some random oh, yeah. commercial type gig or something so uh yeah it's just i'm i'm in i'm in my studio a lot <laughs> sure puppies for hanukkah and those kinds uh, of yeah all gigs. those things yeah yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> awesome um, so you've spoken to backstage so much that I I was going through all those interviews and I'm I want to make sure that we're not like rehashing too much. Mm -hmm. But um, you could you speak about your experience with backstage? I read that you like used to read backstage. So you would sit in Barnes and Noble and read backstage. And yeah, not, when I was not like, purchase it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't purchase anything back then. <laughs> when I was like first sort of trying out New York, uh, and mm -hmm. I was just couch surfing. And I would like look through audition notices and backstage or like whatever. I flip through the magazine, like not trying to get some sense of what even the mm. New York theater community was like, because I didn't I didn't know anybody in it really. Sure. Sure. I can't I want to ask you all about how the goal has changed, because it seems like with the fluctuations of the industry and of your life, the goal keeps changing. But what like take me back to the beginning. What was the original? Were you bit by an acting bug? Uh. I don't know if it was so much an acting bug as it was just like I it, that was one of the things I really love to do and mm -hmm. um yeah I just wanted to be able to do all of the things that I love for a job that was always the goal it's still kind of the for goal you know like yeah I, I just um I didn't there were plenty of people around me who didn't really like the thing that they did for work and uh <sighs> And that's not, you know, my parents didn't want that for me, like, and I mm. and I didn't want that really. I I I wanted to not it, it, effort to get to a point where I didn't have to have this split of like my, you know, work self and my fulfilled self. So mm. that was that was what I was pushing towards. It turns out, like, even when you get to do the things you love, that doesn't happen all the time, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yes. There's still, it's never a hundred percent, uh, bliss all the time. Just yeah. life. That's so interesting. The idea that, um, you're motivated by seeing the opposite of what you would have. Like some people are inspired by seeing, oh, this person's doing exactly what they love and what they're meant to do. 
And you sort of have the opposite where you're like, I want to make sure that my work is my life because I'm not seeing examples of that. Yeah. I mean, I also saw some examples of that. I think, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw plenty of people who loved what they do. I think it, it was just, um, once I became aware that what that was for me was, was being an artist like that, mm-hmm. it's kind of a difficult thing. You know, like there was a moment where, cause I also really loved teaching and I, mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of education work back in the day. And I, at, at some point it became clear to me, like in my you know, mid or late twenties that I, if I were to do that full time, I wouldn't be happy. Like I, gotcha. I wouldn't have felt that way, but that might've been an easier route to pursue in some ways. There were more opportunities mm-hmm. there at the moment, uh, yeah. but I, I became aware that that, that wasn't going to be the thing. It would be a great thing to do. And I could have been really proud of it, but it wouldn't have been the thing that would lead me to not be frustrated with myself. Yes. So you chose the path that was uh, riskier and uh, potentially more reward. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess so. <laughs> chose also feels like an odd, you know, it's, I mean, it was, but oh, also sure. like, you know, well, that's actually, I, that's what I love hearing about. Like this idea of like how intentional was all of this? Like you have this, you pie in the sky goal, but you also are at like, not at the mercy of the, the, the ebbs and flows of the of these industries, both music and theater, these are industries where you must have known the odds are against you. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think it was just I've never been. I'm not particularly business minded, and like industries in general, I have trouble understanding. So it was never, which is why I think like it feels weird to say that I chose anything as right. opposed to just kind of continued to walk towards things that seemed to allow me to live close to the kind of life I wanted to live, you know, like, and, and to say yes to things that felt like they would be good to do. But sometimes there, it's easy to look back on how everything went. And, and I understand how people (laughs) could look at that, at what I've done. And, and, and maybe it feels like there was some grand design there or that I had planned any of it, but that's just not true. And I don't know that how many people that's true for some folks are very intentional like that, but I I wasn't. And I, I, um, and I also didn't know enough to be, you know, I'm still learning like the stuff I'm learning about how to make television now is, is crazy. I mean, I I know nothing. I still, Every day I'm confronted with how little I know about the various industries that I work in, you know, sure. and music, I've been making music since I was 14 years old. <laughs> and I could not tell you the first thing about how the music industry works. I'm sure. signed to a label. I don't understand that. I don't understand anything. You know? <laughs> you're more on the artistic side. You, you're more comfortable. And of course, you're learning things on that end, too. You're learning about yourself as an artist. Right. But you're you are more in the position of having to uh, become a showman, like become an entrepreneur. And, and teach yourself that yeah yeah i think so or just just figure out you know where is the creative space in all of these things and or where are the different mm. creative spaces right because the mm. um it's really easy in some senses it's not easy that's the wrong way to put it but there there are some ways in which it is easier to be a creative person when you're not really making any money off of it you know, when okay. when there is very little invested in it, yeah. um, n- nobody tries to put restrictions on what you create because mm. they don't they didn't invest anything in it. So how could they? You know, interesting. Um, and 
also there is less ex- there's lower expectations on you too like the bar is kind of low so right. whatever you put out the smaller amount of people who are seeing it are generally you know people who are already for some reason geared towards liking the things that you do and they and and you get a lot of positive feedback for that um mm. so what's great about that is it if you take advantage of those moments it allows you to really kind of be fully creative and and try really experiment with things and then um and learn what your process is and what you how you like to work as an artist and then when you get into these spaces where Mm. where the finances of things start restricting things you have to sort of look for where are the places where i can be the kind of creative i want to be you know within these industries and sometimes you don't get to be that uh right and that's okay too, because you can always learn things from those moments. But mm. I find myself looking for the sweet spots of like, okay, this is how I really like to work and how I like to think. Where within this machine can I do that? Mm. Yeah, that unfettered, like creative, like limitless. Not even limitless. I love a uh, constraint, but just ah, uh, okay. just without concern. I like the process. I'm very much more about process than I am about product. Somebody's got to be concerned about product if they're selling the thing, right. and I understand that. Right. But I, I don't want to have to focus on that, so I try to surround myself with people in mm. all of the creative situations I do who can focus on that, mm-hmm. who also understand the way that I like to work and do what they can to protect the process because mm-hmm. that's the you know when, when i do plays i like rehearsal i i like performing too but rehearsal is kind of the thing you know that's where yeah. all the fun is um and so spoken like a true theater theater y- kid like yeah, you're yeah. a real ensemble member yeah oh yeah 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 that's that's where the that's where you do all the things and then eventually you you lock it and the great thing about theater is it's never really locked you you're building it every night but uh, okay um but like yeah, so that's a uh, for folks who love the behind the scenes of the thing. It's mm. there's so much that is where most of the work is in my life. Like I spend much more time making things than I make showing than I spend showing that. Right, a TV show is done a year yeah. before anybody sees it, and I spent eight months on it that nobody ever seen. That's great, yeah. but you have to. The product is what they're selling. The only thing that you know nobody financially cares about the process really definitely (laughs) yeah so you're trying to balance the artistic and commercial the product versus the process yeah even though you're more comfortable yeah that's a snapshot of where i am right now i think sure that's what i think about a lot these days (laughs) sure as you as you as you say like enter these spaces and also i feel like it explains your collaboration with people like rafael casal where like is he more of a um maybe product or, or like finishing he's element. better at it than i am he's a he's he yeah. understands uh what people like uh, <laughs> i think okay. in a way that i don't you know um you understand what you like which is valuable I, yeah i understand what i like and what i like to do you know yeah. but he, he he i think has a better understanding of it, but he's also a process guy i think um but he's he's better at interfacing with you know he's just um He's better at understanding business than I than I am. He mm. he worked in marketing and in advertising for a long time. Like he gets it in a way that I don't. Right. Um. Mm. Which. Uh, but. You know the amazing thing about that dude is like it takes zero away from his process side, and it like he's such a brilliant mm. and uh, creative and um, experimental artist. Uh, I, there's not a lot of people who occupy 
the space like he does who have mm. both sides of their brain working full time like that <laughs> guy I don't know. that's he's a he's a different sort of dude man and you two just clicked right like you you actually went to the same high school but didn't know each other in high school and yeah. it's just one of those like ephemeral chemistry perfect collaborations like have you ever been able to explain why you two are great together yeah i mean it's just better when he's working on it too you know like we mm. say all the time there's like a there's like a you know 10 to 20 percent bump in how good the thing is if the other person is working <laughs> on it and i i don't know what to attribute that to other than it it, it started out in a really good place and we have never we don't get in each other's way or try to hinder each other and like are also mm. never um th there's never any sort of pullback on the other's success like nobody th there's never been any jealousy or any like uh, anything like yeah. that um there's just like a genuine desire for everybody to know how dope that guy is and same from you know when we started out he was the he was famous in art circle like he was you know he was already on deaf poetry jam he was you know touring around the world doing poetry shows and stuff and we made blind spotting because of him like jess and keith found his poetry stuff like that mm. and he insisted on bringing me along and there's so many times in mm. our lives that he insisted on bringing me along where he was like yeah. i i I'm so invested in everybody understanding how great you are that huh. like I'll take less money on this because I want you to be there so they can see you and because I have more fun when you're there you know and it, mm. it's just it's sort of continued that way it's it feels to me way easier on my side of things because if I open the door all he has to do is open his mouth and everyone's like oh yeah that guy like it's not it's <laughs> not really like a hard sell in any way like he's sure. like he takes care of all of it or <laughs> I think sometimes he would have to play my shit for people like a lot and like sit there and explain to them why it was good like people didn't get it you yeah. know that's the that's like the spirit of true collaboration when you're that when you're just like cheerleaders for each other you're willing to like mm. you are what did you say invested in the other person's success yeah just yeah, as much as your own or more than your own yeah i mean it, it it's uh i don't know he's really really good <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and blind he's spotting like my best friend but you know well and that's part of it too sure um was blind spotting really nine years in the making yeah yeah, at least. That goes back to what you're saying about like you see the final product and you don't think about the amount of work that goes into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean and, and 22 days shooting, you know. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> 9 years of pre-production essentially. <laughs> That's film. <laughs> 22 days of shooting. That's crazy. Um, crazy. But Did you have to think about the the do you think about theater versus film? Like how do you approach them differently? Like that perfectly encapsulates you per, you love rehearsals. You are a theater kid. How does it how does it feel to transition from that to nine years of developing movie followed by twenty two days of shooting? Uh, I, I it's you know I was we were working on that for so long before I had ever done any other film work, so I don't think I thought about it then. Ah. Like I I sort of think about the juxtaposition now only in terms of the work. Um, I, I think uh, it, at the place where I am with on-camera work right now I I still feel very much like I have to in order for me to be successful I need to really be able to trust my collaborators I need to really be able to trust my director and mm. 
the whole team, the editors, everyone, because ultimately someone else is building this performance is how sure. I feel about it. And I, 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 you know, there are plenty of other film and TV actors who don't feel that way, but I don't, I still don't have the muscle to understand what mm. it looks like when I do something. Yeah. I don't, you know, the camera distances and stuff. I'm, these are all things I'm still learning. But mm. so I have to trust somebody who's watching a monitor to tell me if something looks crazy or to tell me if something does not read for the way that we're trying to tell the story if it's not aiding the story then someone has to tell me that and uh and ultimately at least in the moment where i am right now it feels a little bit like you know like providing a bunch of different sort of small bits like sentences or like colors right if it, if it was painting Ooh. like i'd be just providing colors and somebody the artist would the various artists would be taking those colors and actually painting the thing with them when I feel like I'm at my best mm. on on camera is when I can, when everybody's sort of in it trying to figure it out and, mm -hmm. and I can, and essentially what I'm doing is rehearsing while they're taping, right? I can say, what about uh, this? And I do a thing yeah. and then they have that. <laughs> so we never go back to it. That's the color. other trip about it is it's just rehearsal with no performance, right? There's just cool. like, we try a bunch of things and if they caught them on the camera, then that's it. You'll never do them again. Um, yeah wild whereas like you know the doing theater is is literally building the thing from scratch every night and yeah. and there's something incredibly free about that but i understand it better still i i i understand um the effect that i have on the story because it's immediate whereas yeah. you know when being on the other side of the camera these days when you're producing a lot of things like there'll be moments that i've seen watched on the monitors and been like that's it i mean that's it that's the take and you get into the edit and that take will not work because it doesn't aid the totality of the story you know yes and some other thing that you thought was way less it uh turns out to be it so you know cool it's interesting is it, is it safe to say too that behind the camera work looking at the at the canvas at the big picture then helps you as an actor when you're back to the kind of micro level I think so. I think it will eventually. I'm like <laughs> okay. a little slow to synthesize things, I think. So like, I, but I, I, I do think eventually it will, I'll manage to, <laughs> I'll manage to put it all together, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. I remember when I left college, right? I was a, a theater major just for undergrad and um, I uh, we learned like a ton of theory, you know, we studied everybody, everybody that you study. Yeah, uh, Stanislavski and Meisner and all this stuff and I like I remember trying to figure out how to use any of that like while I was there and I couldn't at all it, none of it made any sense to me and I left and it still didn't really make any sense to me and it uh. wasn't until like a bunch of years later doing plays with a lot of folks that were much older than me but like something clicked and I was like oh it's because you just pick and choose the parts that are useful for you you mm -hmm. don't you don't <laughs> right. you don't have to sit there and talk to yourself in the mirror all the time or like do the you know or insist on having the correct cup in order to fucking do it yes. that's you just do the parts that are useful for your own personal storytelling in this moment that and is then all of a point. sudden i could look back on all that theory and be like oh there's really useful shit in here actually yes all of this stuff i thought was worthless is not worthless i didn't know how to use the toolbox somebody had given me yes you know? that's such a great point training is not about using every single building block it's about using probably just like a fraction of them yeah. but you got to know them all in order to draw the right ones yeah and then you learn other shit you steal totally. things from people you work with like, steal things absolutely yeah, yeah yeah you've also said and this was in reference to auditions um 
that you talk, you look for the tone. And when you're when you're thinking about auditions, you'd rather have the entire script rather than yeah. just the sides. And this speaks to this idea of like you are an ensemble member. You are contributing to the overall picture. Yeah, I don't remember who told me that. Maybe a professor or something. Somebody told me like that learning the tone of the thing would take you farther than you know any any amount. Like if you're only going to do sure. one thing for your work on a piece, mm. understand the tone of the piece you're working on. And I still that still really works for me. I think um, mm-hmm. try yeah trying to figure out because we're just telling stories. You know, you're just trying to be an effective mm. part of the of a of a very large storytelling machine. Mm in uh in whatever of these forms you're working in and so yeah what's the you know uh the good lord bird right was such a hmm. such a fun project for me to work on and the the reason i said yes to it immediately was because i read the book and like the tone of it was so specific mm-hmm. it was like how are you gonna pull this off i don't like oh cool it seemed so hard to do but I had a good idea of how I could be helpful in it. So I was like, okay. great. I, I I think I have some idea of how I might play this part. And then working with that episode director, Darnell Martin, she had so many great ideas. Ethan had so many great ideas. And, mm. uh, and all of it, everyone was so attuned to the thing tonally that that's... And when Gosh. I watched that project, I'm like, wow, you did it. It does feel, feel similar to the way it felt to read that book, which mm. is like a laughing hysterically at a really horrific situation sure sure and uh yeah and so like i i I love that stuff i love what a what a project really nails the tone of the thing (laughs) sure this might be a weird question but like did the did the idea that it might not pull it off like the idea that the adaptation might not be successful in pulling off that tone that didn't hold you back at all or give you any doubts oh it made me jump at it more i love a thing that probably won't work you know? <laughs> sure sure sure. I, I think um especially in in the in in you know in sort of the more the bigger like film and tv world when you get when you get those projects mm. if you if you happen to really like one of the to me if you happen to really like one of those and it feels like a big swing that has a bunch of different ways it might fail like yes you kind of got to say yes to those because so many of the things you give and are like sort of Safe. You know, they're pretty safe and they're yeah. probably going to work for the audience they know they are appealing to. You I know, love this that. was like, who's the audience for this? I don't even know who wants to watch this except me. I know I want to watch it. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's what's exciting about it. Uh, yeah, I, I always say yes to those things. <laughs> and Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer for sure fits that brief, right? Like, there's so many ways that it, it's just teetering on the genres and the <laughs> it is tones. man and i don't understand what's going on half the time I, like i you know um but it's such an incredible collection of people and sometimes that's it really like at at the bottom of everything you kind of that's all you have is like who am i working with right now and i i lucked into it in snowpiercer i didn't know any of these people really but like mm-hmm the cast and crew of this show and the the writers like everybody is so such a wonderful human I yeah. really like being around them and uh that you know counts for a lot and like right. I and I creatively enjoy working with them and so yeah there's a it but it is one of those things where it's like I don't know what's going on man like this might I don't <laughs> maybe yeah maybe <laughs> you know that maybe that gets your creative juices flowing more than like I know exactly what this is I know exactly what's for and yeah. what I'm contributing to it yeah 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 definitely that is exciting. Is it also, is it, it must be true. Snowpiercer is the only project you've had where this is a character that you are revisiting over a long period of time and developing over time. Yeah. And certainly like uh, 
you've done TV before, but this is like a lead role in every episode. So like, yeah. has that been different from a stage show, which is the same thing, but you're starting from scratch every night or like a film or miniseries? Yeah, it's very different. Um, it has to, it, cause it has to grow and evolve with you. And there's this, hmm. uh, I've, I've talked about this before, but I, I think as far as I can tell, television is the only place where this dynamic happens, which is this crazy sort of, um, game of telephone between actor and writer's room where oh yeah like and i noticed this on blackish the first time uh, mm-hmm. that i that i did blackish they had like written the script and it was super funny and i went to the table read and i did it at the table read and that was great and so we we start shooting and and at some point in the very first scene i was shooting like uh i was looking for some silly way for johan to enter the space and <laughs> and like uh and plus the way the cameras were blocked didn't allow the most obvious way to get in the room to be there. So I was like, well, I'm just going to step on this dude's couch and he's going to hate that. Like, like, uh, Anthony's you know, gonna, yeah, yeah. Dre, Dre would, would absolutely hate Dre. that. And he's supposed to hate this guy anyway. So like, yeah. Or, so I did that. And then it was in every episode after that, like, or, <laughs> okay. you know, like, or Johan puts his feet on the couch. Like that became a thing. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. It's sure. a, it's a it's a living document in television in a way that it isn't uh, anywhere else where that like because yeah. you're gonna keep the story continues and a character yes. has to continue to evolve and so you you get to be in this this dialogue that I don't know that it exists anywhere else and it's pretty cool when it works when when there's like the space and uh skill to to do that to sure for writers to see a thing and be like oh we should change something right now or we should add something that. right now like, it's very yeah. cool. And it speaks to what you were saying about your rehearsing on your rehearsing in the take and whatever they capture from that rehearsal does end up being the final product. And it's yeah, up to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's so awesome. Um, going back, I mean, I have so many questions for you, obviously, but Hamilton is, we have to talk about Hamilton and yeah, yeah. you've talked about it so much, but like, what was it like revisiting it? Like, did you see it? You must have seen this film, or maybe you don't like to watch your performances, and you didn't. But I imagine you did. I did. I I've watched. I've watched everything except like my big parts. <laughs> oh, so you don't want to? Okay, okay. I haven't watched. Like I haven't watched. What did I miss? And I, I haven't watched the cabinet battles. And really? I like I haven't watched the things that are like me features. Because <laughs> uh, I was yeah, going to ask, I like, will. is it is it the thing where are you as an act? Is it the in the nature of an actor to if you're revisiting a performance or watching an older performance? to feel not regret, but to feel like, ah, I would have done that differently now, or? I don't know that even that's it. I just, with that one, I think because I did it for so long and I've talked about it so much and I, yes. there's this, um, and I've I've totally reduced it in my head to like these sound bites mm-hmm. that I've had to say all the time. So there's yes. there's like a there's this crazy compilation of what that those years of my life were like life were like that exists in my head. And a small part of that is the is the performance of the show. Right. And it's false. It's to, I 100 percent know it is false. How interesting. Um, but it's the it's the way I have been speaking about it for the last six years. And so I I know the second I watch some of those things, it's going to break that. And I might not be able to talk about it anymore, which is gotcha. fine. Yeah. But, or I'll have to reframe the way I'm talking about it. And that's fine. It's just, it's really just that I already know the cognitive dissonance that's going to exist between what is in my head and what is captured that's- on that thing. Also, that was 
one time doing the show or Absolutely. three times yeah. doing the show. Kind of early in the run. Yeah. No, that was super late in the run. We were like, also, oh. we were hundreds of shows in. So we, which is, all of those are good things. And I understand that it's just, it's really just, I'm not, I haven't been ready for that yet. You know, it's not out of any like dislike. And it's a little silly because I so enjoy <laughs> watching everybody else in it. Um, mm-hmm. And like revisiting what it was like to watch them do it. You know, I watched Wait For It from the Wings every night and it was my yes. favorite part of the show every night. God, so like, I, uh, I, revisiting that is magical. Yeah. Um, but I just, I'm not quite ready to have it. And also it's a play. I don't know. That's why I do plays because you don't have to watch them again. Like, Absolutely. You get to, because it only exists in that weird, like fake version in your head, right? That's all, yes. the only memory you have of those things. I really hear that. Cause as an audience member, I, I saw the show with that full cast, but it is, and I wanted to watch it over Disney plus, of course I do, but it is the thing of like, I also don't want that to become the definitive version of what I have in my head mm-hmm. right. of the, um, recording theater is weird. I mean, talk about like a living, breathing document and how yeah. it exists in objective reality versus your mind (laughs) yeah yeah no totally and i mean i think i think tommy did an incredible thing with it which is to like figure out what it what exists in the vocabulary of film that feels the same Mm. as what exists in the vocabulary of theater right so because pointing the camera at the stage is not going to do it because that's not how you react to it's not how you feel intimate with a character on the on a film on a piece of film and so his like profound and deep understanding of the moments in that show that are intimate the moments that feel kinetic in a way Mm. that you're going to need camera motion to feel that when you're watching it you're not even if the if everyone is twirling and spinning on the stage but the camera is holding still you'll never feel the same way that it felt when you sat in the audience if you're just watching the thing and he understood that so well so i think Mm -hmm. of of the parts of it that i have watched like it does such a great (laughs) job of capturing that like the the feeling of it it's an incredible undertaking i think yeah and it's just it must be wild to um you have Good Lord Bird and Snowpiercer and Central Park and all these current and Soul. Congratulations on Soul. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful. But project. this hit, for, you know, this Broadway show from 2015 is what's it's what's dominating the conversation. <laughs> yeah, and like, were you at all looking for or expecting this SAG nomination? No, no, I don't. I didn't know you could get nominated for a thing you did right. five years ago. Like I didn't know that was a thing. So you I, also, I, yeah, when you were announcing it, you were like, "What is this? Which? What is it for? What?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's cool you know I mean it's um, I am happy you know the nice thing about it coming out on Disney Plus is the more people saw it the first day than than probably will ever see it in a theater you know like it's uh, the yeah and so many people find themselves in that show it's you know the the reason it is the kind of success that it is is because like everybody can see themselves in it and can like is given this opportunity to feel some sort of ownership over a thing that feels so not ours at times right Mm. like america and uh, and uh, (laughs) this is and this is true for people who watch it overseas too like the idea of democracy like getting some seeing yourself in a show about the creation of a particular kind of sort of global dominating democracy is a really powerful Mm. thing Mm. and um and so it's wonderful to me that so many people are 
getting to see it and and still seem to be finding themselves in it and are watching it in a new context yeah you know it came out at the end of the trump era and we put it on at the end of the obama era like it's a yeah. it's a totally different world and you know re-examining what it means to have black bodies occupying like traditionally white spaces means something yep. different than it you know did then it's a lot more like fraught and and scary yeah. than it was when barack obama was sitting in the audience being like yeah it's mm. like this you know like <laughs> so yeah it's 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 wild um, yeah it's a reminder of a lot of things we can't take for granted like mm -hmm. like democracy and like <laughs> yeah <laughs> equality yeah no it's it's wild it's wild to revisit for so many reasons I have to let you go soon, but of course we're all we're all about the advice. And I there's so many different ways to ask these questions about the advice, but going off of what you just said, how what do you advise to artists? Maybe you've been asked this before by other early career or aspiring artists, like how do you infuse your art with your activism? Or how do you hmm. what you were saying earlier about like how it's not that intentional, but you're following this path through the through the biz. Um, how do you follow what you believe in and incorporate that artistry into the commercial side of things. Uh, I think again, it, it, it is, um, it's all sort of process, right? Like the, mm. no matter how, um, no matter like how outwardly woke your product is, right? <laughs> if, uh, sure. if what's happening in the creative phase of it is, is still, um, is still oppressing people or separating people or subjugating people like it's not it's it's not the thing and so you yeah. have to i think it's it's really about that who are you working with why are you working with them um and are they and not to say that you'll never that you should never work with people that you disagree with or that you should never take a check that comes to you that you are conflicted about like maybe you should like you know the oh those things happen um, you got to pick your battles yeah, pick your battles. But I think the the biggest way to, as an artist, to be an activist is to mm -hmm. look at how your art is created. I, I is gotcha. what I am finding these days is to mm -hmm. be to the degree that you can affect that to the to the degree that we can say like, yeah, we insist on having a diverse crew working on this show behind mm -hmm. the scenes. The people you'll never see in front of the camera, like the mm -hmm. you know, the degree to which you have the ability to do things like that is the best way to be an activist and then if you're going to make something that speaks to uh, an issue of the moment that's that's great mm -hmm. if you if you feel that and you have a platform or a way to make that or just feel like there is something that you have to say that you want to ball up and throw into the inter internet which is the way most art happens these days i think and yeah. it's wonderful i think like great do that um mm -hmm. and i think but the the change that we are all looking for comes from the job creation. That's really what it is, you know, it comes from. Yeah. The, yeah. And the insisting on the difference on like trying to move the needle forward in terms of how we are all respected and treated and loved in yes. the spaces we create in. You know? Yeah. It again speaks to process versus product of like, I love this idea that it doesn't, I guess it's fine if the final product ends up, having this stamp of some kind of approval but um if the behind the scenes intentions weren't all there that i mean that's the more important thing and that even early career actors who are just starting out they have uh, they have the power to 
make those kinds of decisions. Yeah, you can, or at least you can be aware of it um, and file things away to be like, you know what, yes. next time I won't do this. Like next, Perfect. you know, next yes. time when I have the opportunity, <laughs> if I have the choice between two things, I'm gonna yes. take this one, you know. You don't mm -hmm. always have the luxury of choice in that sense, no. but I think those are those are the things as a as a young artist to keep your eye on. Like really, it's just like file away the experiences and awesome. remember them and remember what you would change about them. Uh, yeah, and then you can always, as long as you remember those things, you can push for them. But I think like that's excellent advice. Sometimes as artists, we're always trying to make ourselves make something that is saying something, and like, I, mm. which is great if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. I've been binge watching The Mentalist for the past, you know what I'm saying, like f yes. four weeks or something. Like that's the thing I'm consuming the most right now. I don't know what that that show is saying anything important, sure. but like I I enjoy it and I and I'm very glad it exists. And I don't think there's anything wrong with making stuff like that too, uh, Love that. right? So like, but that that doesn't mean that you can't be part of the solution in while you're making those things. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's really beautiful advice, especially for the for the early career artists, because there is a lot of uh, walking the line between what you say yes to and what you what you don't. And um, just to bring it back to, it sounds like the way that you speak about your early career. I love this idea that you you're saying embrace the almost more limitless capability, the fact that you don't have as many people invested in your success, and that you have this. You are just charged with figuring out your own creativity, your own creative process. It's a really special space that you totally hate and take for granted while you're in the middle of it. But I like see. Okay. When, you're, when you start having a lot of eyes on you, it gets way harder to do that. Yes. So you might as well take advantage of it now. Like while, while uh, if, if you are in that position where you have the sort of freedom mm -hmm. um, to collaborate differently or to try to re really experiment with things like figure out what your edge is right yeah. now and and have that in your back pocket so that you know like if yeah. the opportunity comes along you can go to there and then that that edge will change which is like i think yeah trying to keep pushing yourself and enjoying yourself and having fun and trying things and trying things and trying things because like hmm. at, at a at a certain point people start restricting the freedom that you have to try those things and like it's a trade-off it is it is a trade-off yeah but i love that it's just a picking and choosing of what works for you and and also paying attention to what doesn't work so that going forward you can not repeat that yeah you i mean you know, all of us will say yes to so many things that it turns out <laughs> we're not the right thing you know yes. or we didn't where we thought something was gonna be something it wasn't or whatever just yeah. but you can learn from every experience i think so um yeah that also goes back to like take on the riskier projects, the projects that probably won't work or that might not have a likely, Maybe, more likelihood like, of not working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're geared that way, like do, yeah. do that. I think like it's, I don't know, gotta just always check in with yourself. I think that's the like hard thing for artists to do sometimes, particularly in the space where you're not making like a good living off your art because you're grinding yeah. so hard. Yeah. You're like moving so fast and you're working so hard and you're mm. just doing so, you're trying to do so many things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you, sometimes you don't away. give yourself the space to be like how do I actually feel about what yeah. I'm doing am I happy you know we don't often ask yeah. ourselves that question and even when even now like I have to remind myself to be like am I happy Absolutely. or am I just doing the most like what and yes do you genuinely answer. want to watch the mentalist like is it genuinely gut feeling you that's what you want to be consuming I'm gonna watch it as soon as we get off of <laughs> <Good>. <laughs>
Um, this is so wonderful. Can I, I'm just going to ask you one more question. And yeah. I know this is like the, the most difficult one, but like, what is one performance you think every actor should see and why? Oh, God. Maybe it's something you've seen recently that you would recommend. Oh man. What is one? Perf- this is a, a terribly hard question. Lately, um, we've been asking this question and it just feels like torture, like forcing someone to name their favorite actors. Understandably torture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, there's an I cite this film all the time because mm. it is actually one of my favorite films. There's a there's an old Preston Sturges movie called The Sin of Harold Diddlebuck. What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Harold Lloyd is the star of it, and I've watched this movie a, a thousand times. Um, huh. I it's so silly, it's so like zany and wacky, and like it's it, <laughs> it's about a guy who. <laughs> was a college football star and he uh, ends out of college, gets like hired to be the accountant at this bank or something. And he like, uh, you know, falls in love with the secretary there, but never, it never works out. And every version of the secretary who's there while he remains at this bank, he's there for, you know, 20 years and like oh. he falls in love over and over again, it never happens. And then he gets, huh. he gets laid off. And he gets given his like severance pay and he's never had a drink of alcohol in his life. And he meets a guy on the street who's like, I'm going to get you drunk today. And they go to a bar and they get drunk and he buys a circus. And that's uh, oh. <laughs> that's the film. Uh, wow. And um, <laughs> there's the scene of him getting drunk for the first time is one of the most mm. virtuosic things I've ever seen. Oh, wow. uh, and... Um, and watching him sort of ride this wave of this like fever dream of a of a night where he buys a circus is just like it's a great feat of acting and it's all it's all rhythm it's all rhythm it's all timing um okay. and it's mm. I, I like old movies because they don't cut so much because we didn't sure. know how to do that yet yeah um, the editing yeah and so in terms of learning from mm. a performance you get to really watch somebody act that's great uh, and uh and so I think sometimes like watching those old performances for me is like how to try to understand uh, things like that, that you can, that I find it hard to get from modern, from a lot of modern films, which is like the things like the rhythm of a scene, understanding that which to me is yeah. so important. It's easier to see a rhythm in an unbroken take like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I just, I, you know, I love great comedians. Um, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of stand-up. I watch a, like a, oh, okay. a lot of stand-up comedy sure. and a lot of like, because the, the rhythm changes are so, that's when you really nail that, it almost doesn't matter what you're saying, right? And um, yeah, and so I, yeah, I'm sort of obsessed with, with comedy in that in that way and the, the, cool. the mechanics of it. Well, those are great recommend. That's about the most random recommendation I've heard, probably. But um... <laughs> it's a super random. One. I don't know that I think it's true that every actor should watch it. But, <laughs> but like, if you're into that sure. kind of shit, then yeah, sure, it's a fun one. And you probably haven't seen it because it's a weird film. Totally. I also agree with you about. I think especially it's the older um, movie musicals that don't have a lot of cuts, and so it mm-hmm. allows people to like five straight minutes of straight up dancing, like in a way that uh, you can't cheat. And the way that the today's movie musicals with all that editing can allow you to cheat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you something else I've been learning in, in that in that vein too. Uh I've been I, I had the great fortune of collaborating with Lil Buck and John Boogs on um 
on this blind spotting TV show adaptation we're, we've been working on. And I, oh, yes. they're two incredible dancers and I've been, I've been fans of theirs for a long time, but okay. like literally go watch any of their videos on YouTube. Like as gotcha. an actor, you will learn a lot. You will learn a lot. They're so, um, there's so much storytelling. They're virtuosos. I mean, it's a little bit upsetting because it's like, watch, you'll never be able I'll to never. do that if you don't yeah. do that, you know? But like, um, yeah. but there's something, the thing I was doing before Hamilton was this play where it becomes flesh. It was this, um, yes. we're traveling around doing this like choreo poem, basically. Mm-hmm. And one of my mentors, Mark Bamuti Joseph, had written the show as a solo piece and then reimagined it 10 years later for a cast of five men. And mm. We toured around the country a bunch, you know, over the course of a few years doing this show. And um, I grew so much, I think, as as an artist working on that show because mm-hmm. it forced me to connect to my body in a different way than I had mm-hmm. ever had before. I, I'm like a table work dude. I like like sitting down and reading things and like yeah. all, the day when you have to get up is always like sort of dreadful to me, you know, uh, <laughs> but um yeah but he because of the way Bamu works he's a writer also he's a poet um a, a great great writer and for him there isn't a the every a word is always connected to movement mm-hmm. and it's not always that it's dance sometimes it's subtle but like the word for him doesn't exist without the physicalization of that word the act of speaking cool. is a physical act and so working on that show and not that I work in the same way as him at all, but mm. the learning a bit from that process. Um, also another collaborator of mine, Chris Walker, who's, who's uh, another incredible dancer um, who's heading up the first wave program at the University of uh, Wisconsin in Madison. Like he and mm. uh, him and Rafael Casal helped build that program and so like okay. I've been friends of his for a long time too and he I worked with him a lot on I, I asked him to be my dialect coach for the Little Mermaid he's from Jamaica oh my gosh um so he was one of the dialect coach coaches I worked with and wow. again like the because he's a dancer um the way that he spoke about character was in terms of physicality. People from this part of the country mm. walk, stand like this, oh, wow. right? People who immigrated here from here stand like this or walk like this, and it affects the way that you speak. So for for me, who is someone who exists in their head quite a bit, like I, I, I watch, I, I try to watch highly, very physical things because I, yeah. I, learn, I learn the most from that kind of storytelling. If there's any part of it that I can incorporate, I find it very useful because I actually, in my natural state, I think I'm pretty disconnected from my my like physical oh, storytelling. That's so. I, I I was gonna ask about that too. The the idea of outside in approach because like it's funny you say that because I think of Hamilton especially as a perfect example of word connected to breath connected to movement. And you are very kinetic. You were very kinetic in that show. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is it is post a lot of these things that I learned. Fortunately, um, gotcha. Yeah. And, and, and it and it requires it of you, right? It it mm-hmm. it, it was necessary, but hmm. but yeah, even still, like I'm I, that to me is the thing that I'm ho- I'm always working on. It's I love doing stunt work when I get to do stunt work, right? I, cool. I, anytime I get to be on camera and move and not speak, I find myself like I I'm always excited for those moments um, mm-hmm. because I, because I'm it's gonna force me to tell story in a way that I'm not as yeah. comfortable with, but that like, I, I really want to get better at. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're just, and you're just more in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much, Javi. This is all so wonderful. Thank you, oh, thank you. so much for taking the time up, up in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Um, Snowpiercer is so epic, and I can't it's, wait to see what trip. season three is going to be like. Yeah. It's wild. It's already wild. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Right, thank you. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna-Torella here. I love David Diggs. He's such a talented performer and I don't know about you, but hearing that he is back on set filming season three of Snowpiercer makes me feel like we are getting back to normal. I feel like I can exhale. I really relate that at the start of his career, he'd go to a bookstore to read Backstage magazine because he couldn't afford the subscription. I've told this story before, I think, on this podcast, but when I first moved to New York, my budget was incredibly tight and I used to share my subscription with my roommate. And and by share, I mean I used to wait until she had read hers and I'd read it after. (laughs) Backstage is now digital as well as in the print form, so access has never been easier. We've literally thousands of articles up on the site for you to read for everything from some when you're starting your career all the way through to if you want to become a creator with really great content and I just couldn't recommend enough that you guys can can just look it up and go. I doubt that most of the original cast of Hamilton would remember me but back when Hamilton was at the public theatre which is space I worked at and not yet the massive worldwide hit it became. David and the cast were very gracious to the the staff at Joe's Pub when they would perform there, which I always think is very telling. How you treat people that you don't know matter or don't think matter, matters. And this cast were all enormously talented. You knew watching him and the others that something special was about to happen with not just the show, but their careers as actors. It's a similar feeling to a lot of shows that I got to see at the public, actually. I remember I saw Here Lies Love. I felt the same way about that in the Lewester Theatre at the public. And at this stage, it's fairly well known, I think, that the original cast of Hamilton received additional compensation for helping create the show. But something that is probably less well known is that many off-Broadway spaces on the original run will have off-Broadway equity contracts that have various tiers and a low weekly minimum, quite frankly, as low as like $300 and $400 a week. And the original ensemble of Here Lies Love or Hamilton wouldn't have been making a lot of money. Nowhere near Broadway minimum, Broadway minimum is somewhere near $2,000 a week. So why am I telling you this? Well, I think it's a clear way to demonstrate that in this business, sometimes it's not about the first paycheck on the project. Sometimes it will be a payment in a different way, right? So maybe the payment will be the creative team that you get to work with, the possibility and the plans that the production has down the line, what it adds to your resume, that you really love and connect with the script and the character that you'd be playing. To quote Patti Smith, build a good name. Keep your name clean. Don't make compromises. Don't worry about making a bunch of money or being successful. Be concerned with doing good work and make the right choices and protect the work. And if you can build a good name, eventually that name will be its own currency. 
Alternatively, maybe you already have a resume and experience and without the right payment or back end at the end of an indie project to protect you, you might be in a place in your career where you say no to auditions and opportunities because they're not a financial fit. And I deeply respect that. We all have to pay our bills. But if you think you're intrigued by a project or a casting call that you see, you love the team that you'd be able to work with, or you want to build your resume and your network in the business, I recommend that you keep an eye out for casting calls for workshops and readings and indie projects that might not have a large budget right now, but might be going somewhere in the future. On to the casting highlights of this week. USA Today has a branded content spot that they're casting with us in partnership with a national advertiser. It's what they call real people casting, right? So they're really looking for a parent-child duo that have recently taken out a student loan. I imagine we have quite a few students that, that, that might be reading our magazine, so hopefully that resonates with you guys. The pay is great. It's $1,000 per day. The shoot dates are not yet confirmed. It'll be in the New York area. Over to the UK for a second, there is a six-part drama called Kensal Town, an independent TV drama that already has some stars attached, Emily Carey, Saffron Burrows and Eric Roberts. They're casting a variety of lead roles shooting in London, so take a look at the details there if you are a UK-based actor. And finally, Ivy and Bean is casting on the site. They're holding a nationwide open call looking for kids to play various roles for the upcoming Netflix film, Ivy and Bean. Take a look on the site for details. That's all from me for this week. As always, there are thousands of additional castings on Backstage.com for every type of actor, every region. Um, Head over there to check out more. Break a leg in all your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.